Today's episode is brought to you by Caviar, an easy way to order meals from the best local restaurants across the U.S. Full service radio. Full service. Full service. Full service. Full service radio. Hey, you're listening to Pineapple Radio on Full Service Radio, broadcasting from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. I'm one of your hosts, Atara. And I'm your other host, Arielle, and we're the founders of Pineapple Collaborative, a community for all women who love food. And our mission is to provide a platform for women to express their style, identity, and values through food. And we do that through three, a few key activities. We have events in D.C., New York, and San Francisco every month. We um, are very active on social media We've got great digital content coming into your inbox and living on our website. And last but not least, we have this podcast. And we're really excited um, to uh, chat with a legendary icon today. Yeah, in the studio today we have Dory Greenspan. She, like Arielle said, is a legend, an icon. She's a woman we pine for, which is our word for expressing our admiration and love for another woman. It's our idea that it creates community. Before we go into questions on Dory, we have two things we wanted to discuss. The first is that, not sure if you know this, but you can actually rate our podcast on the Apple Podcast app. And it, we love seeing ratings and reviews, um, and it helps us to get discovered. So if you like this podcast, please share it. We just wanted to shout out three people who have written really great reviews for us. The first is Spinach Daddy. The next is musings underscore methods. And the next one is E. Nidecker. Thank you for leaving reviews for us. Um, and again, if you like what you're hearing, let us know. Send us a DM or leave a review on Apple Podcasts and we'll share it in our next episode. Next is we wanted to share a little bit about the food that we're eating. And each week on the podcast, Ariel and I check in with each other on all the things that we pine for in the great big world of women in food. One of the companies we pine for is Caviar. They're one of our partners, and we have an awesome collection with them. Arielle, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so if you aren't already familiar with Caviar, they're um, a food delivery platform, app, and website, and they've got the best restaurants in any city. And they also have amazing women-powered and women-led restaurants in those cities. So in D.C., we've piloted the Pineapple Collection, um, which is our favorite women-powered spots uh, in D.C. And um, every week on radio, we're sharing our favorite pick. So, Tara, uh, what, what is that for this week? Yeah, so again, it's a really easy way to order and invest in your favorite women-powered businesses. This week, I've been ordering a ton from Colada Shop, which is a Cuban cafe here in D.C. It's led and co-owned by a dear friend of ours, Daniela Senor. And they have an awesome breakfast program that I have been very into lately. Uh, they have this smoothie called the, Sun the Miami Sunset, and it's a orange carrot pineapple situation really awesome for my morning routines it's a nice big uh, gulp of acidity in the morning all right well now I'm hungry and it's <laughs> great because we're gonna have a Always. conversation all about uh, food with Dory and so if you don't know her already from her column in the New York Times magazine uh, one of her now 13 cookbooks um, or following her travels between New York, Connecticut, and Paris on Instagram, um, this is a perfect opportunity to get to know her. Uh, she is, where are you coming from today? Actually, I'm coming from D.C. I came from, can, where did I come from? <laughs> I came from New York yesterday, and I was in Connecticut the day before that. Yeah, I think that's right. Awesome. And how did you celebrate um, publishing day yesterday? So I was here and I had dinner. There was a, it was really so nice. The fourth estate restaurant at the National Press Club did a dinner from my book. Amazing. So, yep. Very nice. It was really nice. DC. All right. I feel honored we get to help you kick off your book tour. 
I'm really happy to be here. I love Washington, D.C. Yeah, and it's beautiful weather right now. I think it's truly showing its finest hour. Um, so do, just a little bit more background on Dory. Um, you know, I think she's a foodie before the term was even coined. Um, she's a New Yorker with an affinity for all things French, and she has a pulse on everyone and everything in the food world. Um, and through her James Beard Award-winning cookbooks and popular columns, as I mentioned, in the New York Times and also the Washington Post. Yeah, I was a columnist for the Washington Post for two years. Amazing. Uh, she you know, proves that you can be an exceptional cook and baker. Uh, which is one of the things that one of the many things that we admire about you and this book in particular because it feels like a really new side you know generally we're familiar with Dory's cookies and now we get to delve into the world of quiche and salads and you know one pot meals um, that look so delicious yeah so before we dive in we are going to be talking today with Dory all about Uh, food as passion and her philosophy that baking is an act of generosity and an act of love. It's an idea that we pine for. It's an idea that shines through in the classic Dory's cookies, like Arielle said, and in her latest uh, Dory, Everyday Dory. And with that, we're going to dive right into questions. Okay. All right. So up first, can you please tell us a little bit about your journey through food? What was your family like around food? And what's your perspective on food now? So I grew up it's so funny. We had dinner as a family every night at 6 o'clock. I can't remember what we ate. So it was not a family where people were talking all day about can't wait for dinner because mom's going to cook this because mom never cooked. She just, she loved to shop for food. She just didn't like to turn it into dinner. And so I, it's kind of, my mother, my mother always said, I don't know how you ended up like this. (laughs) She was always very proud of me, but always um, surprised. I started cooking when I got married. I was 19 years old and a junior in college, and I hadn't cooked before. I had burnt down my parents' kitchen when I was 13. That was the (laughs) first time I went into the kitchen, and then... You know, six years later, I got married and went back into the kitchen. What were you trying to make when you burnt it down? Frozen French fries, but I tried to put them into boiling oil. Uh, don't, uh. Don't, <laughs> don't try this at home. Just don't try this at home. Um, but I, my mother-in-law was a good cook, but more than that, every week they would have a dinner at home, and we would start out, we would be, I don't know, four people, six people around the table, and more people would come and more people would come and just pull up chairs and pass food around and talk about, oh, do you remember when Mama used to make this or we used to be able to buy a raisin roll down the street? And the talk was always about food and people stayed at the table for hours. And I thought, that's what I want. That's what I want my home to be like. And that really, aside from the fact that we had no money and I had to cook because we had to eat. Um, what really drove the passion to learn to cook was this idea of being able to have people around my table. That's beautiful. And we've been reading a lot about how you were studying gerontology and you had this epiphany that you wanted to have a career in food. Um, tell us a little bit about that moment. So I was, um, how old was I? I don't know. I was in my late 20s, early 30s. 30s and I was finishing I was supposed to be finishing my doctorate and I already had the kid, the wonderful kid and I was due to go back to work and I just I dreaded it. I was working, I, was, I had a great job I was working for a social research center um, and my husband Michael said don't go. He said you've always wanted to bake, why don't you try to bake? And I had no experience. I had no training. I had taught myself to bake by baking every single day and working out of cookbooks and just making the same thing over and over again until I got it. But I had, you know, I wasn't a baker. I wasn't a pastry chef. I didn't have any training. And he kept saying, come on, try it. You can do it. And it turned out I couldn't do it. (laughs) I got a job through a friend of a friend of a friend. And I lasted about a month or two, a month I think, and I got fired. And then I got another job and I quit before they could fire me. 
And a friend said, you know, you've been writing all through my career as a researcher. Why don't you write about food? And that was just a really lucky break for me. So what was the first piece that you wrote about food that showed up that was published somewhere? So I, I am a very lucky person. So my first piece was in Food and Wine magazine. And I had this idea to make to write about small sweets, and I had called the story Fireside Sweets, but I didn't know how I didn't know how to go about like you know sending it to Food and Wine and writing a proposal, and so I baked everything that was going to be in that story, and I put it in a basket, and I wrapped a ribbon around it, and I put the recipes in the basket, and I actually brought it to Food and Wine and left it with the front desk. And two hours later, I got a call saying they would take the story. I think it's probably still a good way to get your first story published. And wow. so, yeah, that's how, that's how it started. I love that. And uh, good advice. Uh, I think you know, people get bombarded with so many emails and DMs on Instagram. So sending a letter, or even better, a basket full of delicious treats with recipes. Do you know what's funny? Because this was so long, about, you know, long ago, like in the way back, um, there was no internet. There was no email. There was no DM. I don't know that I would have... I probably wouldn't have done it. I probably, in, in the same way, I probably would have sent an email. Hmm. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was, good to, it was good to have that stuff for them to be able to taste it. And I mean, Two hours later, I got a call. I was so excited. That is definitely epic. <laughs> yeah, that's a really creative way to introduce yourself to someone and show them what you've got. I didn't know any better. It yeah. was just like, <laughs> was I, I didn't know any other way to do it. Quintus. Mm-hmm. Quintessentially Dory, yes. <laughs> so um, your book, Everyday Dory, uh, you write in the introduction how you, uh, what you make all the time at home is food from the pantry and fridge. And so uh, we are very inspired by one's pantry and fridge here at Pineapple. Uh, we have a feature called Pine Four Pantry where we peek into the kitchens of women we admire. Dory, maybe we can arrange that one day. Wait, no okay. pressure. I'll have to straighten up my pantry first. <laughs> yeah. um, but can you tell us a little bit about what you stock in your pantry and fridge normally? Sure, sure. So uh, if I can just like back up a minute sure. or two. So um, I do, uh, this is my 13th book and I've done mostly books about baking and pastry. I did do one, like a full cookbook like this, you know, soup to soup to desserts, in 2010 around my French table, and since that time, I'm still living in three places: Connecticut, New York, and Paris. Pinch, pinch, pinch myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been spending, my husband and I have been spending a lot more time in Connecticut, and it's not easy to shop there. You have to get in a car, you have to go half an hour, do your shopping, come back. And as I look at this book, I realize that my cooking has changed in those eight years that I've been, you know, an hour's round trip from a quart of milk. And so everything is is more practical. Is it's it's simpler, simpler, lurler, lur, <laughs> it's simpler cooking, and it's more pantry and fridge. So a lot of the recipes are open the fridge, look and see what I've got maybe make a substitution because I don't have what I thought I had. And so I, my fridge door, is that the same? I think of that as my pantry. That's yeah. okay mm-hmm. with you? So I have two kinds of mustards at all time. I think mustard is like a magical transformer. So Dijon mustard and grainy mustard, both French. It's not just because I live in France. I really do think French mustard has a nice bite to it that we don't, find in you, you can find it elsewhere but you don't really have to search for it i always have soy sauce i always have sriracha of course sweet thai sweet chili sauce great flavor adder gochujang the korean chili paste have that have little jars of um thai curry paste and thai um chili paste misu miso sorry miso is where i get my hair cut <laughs> sorry <laughs> Miso, um, kind of the condiments, the, the, the fridge things that 
you use a little bit and it just makes a, a, a dish pop. They've got big flavors. And because, as I said, I'm so far from, from, from a supermarket, once I've bought something because I'm making a recipe and it takes like a tablespoon of miso, I start thinking about, okay, what else mm -hmm. can I do? I've got this in the fridge. How else can I use it? And so the, the fridge and the pantry with, you know, spices, 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 um, they're, they're my inspiration often. I'll just, you know, see an ingredient and think, ooh, what can I do with that? Hmm, that's great. And it's quite a resourceful way to approach cooking because you're always inspired by the things that you have already versus having to go out and get more. And also there's something so satisfying about just being able to make something delicious out of what you have. You mm -hmm. feel like, I think cooking, baking, it's a, they're both really creative acts. But almost, you, you, you get a smidge more creativity from in a sense, having to make do. Right. And we love in this book that in each, uh, in each recipe and in each section, there are little notes on how to play with the recipe mm -hmm. and how to be creative. Um, so can you tell us about a time where you were inspired by the ingredients that you found in your pantry and you created something, a recipe that you're really proud of? So I love, I have to open the book because I gave this recipe a name that I will never remember. I try, <laughs> so I try to give recipes names that are descriptive of the dish or pretty straightforward um, so that you know, you kind of have an idea of what you're getting. Right. This title is so descriptive. <laughs> Ready? Mm -hmm. Subtly spicy, softly hot, slightly sweet beef stew. Love it. Right. I want some of that. <laughs> you, can, you may have some if you can say it. What was it? <laughs> subtly spicy, slightly hot. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Softly hot, slightly sweet beef stew. I'll okay. give you a portion. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. You can get some. So I started to make um, a very traditional French-type beef stew where you um, marinate the meat in red wine. And then the magical fridge door. And I thought, hmm, that little bit of gochujang. I wonder what that would be like in there. Kind of an, a little like under layer of spice and heat. And the stew just went Asian. So I kept the red wine, but I added ginger and cilantro and soy sauce to it. And then when I was cooking it, I added cranberries, which I had never done before. And I don't, I don't even know. I just, I opened the freezer, which is where I keep, I buy, when it's cranberry season, I just buy up bags and bags and stock them in the freezer because after cranberry season you can never get them and there was like half a bag in there and I thought I'll just put it in the stew it's puckery it's tart it'll add another little flavor to it and so that was a dish that just kind of grew ingredient by ingredient I had no pre-idea um, and then I loved it so much that I really worked on it to get the measurements awesome. and get it right yeah and I love you encourage your readers of your book to do something similar, which is like, yes, you have all of these amazing recipes, but, you know, if you don't have scallops in the scallop recipe, you say, like, try using swordfish. Yeah, and exactly. Exactly. So because, and you don't even have to, you don't have to be a great cook to be able to play around in the kitchen. You don't have to have a lot of experience. Um, I like to think that when I have these little boxes at the end of the recipe that say playing around, that I'm encouraging you to use what you have, to follow your own taste, and also giving you permission to just fiddle around with the recipe. That it, It's hard to do in baking. I mean, I don't want you changing the amount of baking powder you put in a cake. Mm -hmm. um, but you can take a recipe and make it your own. You can mold it to your taste and that's really what I want you to do yeah I love that and people aren't you know that confident in the kitchen if they don't have that experience so you know this is a great reminder that just get in there see what you have when you open your fridge door and you know you know what tastes good to you so try it out but also I mean there there are each of the recipes in the book you know, I've worked on them, I've worked on them, and then when I thought they were just right, I sent them off to my recipe tester to make sure that they were right. So, you know, all of the recipes are tested and, you know, and follow them, follow them. But after 
after you've made it, you might taste something and say, you know, I really like this, but what if, you know, what if I put a little cinnamon in here? What if I put a little star anise in there? Mm. What if instead of chicken, I, I used pork? What if instead of scallops, I used shrimp? Once you know the recipe and you've had the fun and the satisfaction of being successful, then then that builds the confidence and you know, the, the excitement about doing it a second time and just tweaking it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So circling back to your kitchen style, you're saying that this book is heavily inspired by kind of your Connecticut life and lifestyle. How would you describe the difference between your kitchen style in the States and your kitchen style in Paris? So it's, is my style different? I feel like I cook similarly in all my kitchens. Um, it's more that the shopping, the availability to ingredients, um, that changes how I cook. When I'm in Paris and when I'm in New York, I shop every day. Um, Mostly because I can. I mean, it's just so, you know, you just go downstairs and there's wonderful food. And in Paris, there are the outdoor markets that, you know, every day there's a different location with a market and so the shopping becomes as much fun as the cooking and as I said in Connecticut it's kind of a chore um, maybe because I grew up in New York so I'm not a natural driver um, so it's less it's less that my style is different I think you would you wouldn't say oh I went to Dory's house in Paris and I didn't recognize anything she made it's more kind of the way I the way I shop and and prepare to cook yeah, and, and what about entertaining? Because I know that the Parisian food culture and the way that they approach entertaining is different from, you know, American culture. How has that impacted your perspective on food? So I make, I make dinner... I, it's funny, I don't like to say dinner party because dinner party sounds so formal and it sounds like something that you've got to, you know, get all dressed up for and make sure that you're making a dish that's so super special. Um, so I just think about it as, you know, having having friends over. Um, and I love that the French say, come home for dinner. Mm, that's love that. that. Yeah, that's the... That, and, and so it's more like, yes, come home, for, you know, for dinner. I don't know that my style's all that different in every place. It's easier. I find that I have friends home for dinner more in Paris than I do in New York or Connecticut. And I don't... I don't understand why people seem more available in Paris. Hmm. I don't have to call weeks in advance to get to get to get dinner together. Um, so I find that I'm cooking for friends a lot more when I'm there, and I love it. I love it. Do you think that might be like a work culture thing, where people in New York and Connecticut are just more busy, or is it that in Paris people prioritize having dinner with friends and family? I'd like to say that they prioritize, but I don't know that. Um, I think some of it is work. I remember <laughs> somebody once said to me, "They said, can can you know can you meet for drinks or something?" And I said, "I have to work," and and my friend said, "So American." <laughs> But it's, um, I don't know, I think that that my friends don't go out to eat as much in Paris as they do in, as my friends do in New York and Connecticut, so it's easy for them to say, okay, you know, I won't make dinner at home tonight, I'll have dinner at, at your home. I, I don't know what it is, it just is easier and I find myself, you know, cooking for people a lot more often. There's one thing that's always the same, no matter where I am. And that is that I always greet people. It's, now, it's one of these things where if you do it once, twice, three times, people begin to expect that you'll do this. <laughs> I, make, I make gougere, which are cheese puffs. Right. Um, <laughs> over the last Christmas, New Year's holiday, my husband thinks I made a thousand of them. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as I always have them in the freezer, I make them, I scoop them out. Um, and freeze them unbaked, and then I put them in the oven right before people are supposed to come. So when you come through the door, you have that wonderful smell of warm cheese, and I greet you with a bowl of warm gougere and mm. white wine or champagne. 
So that's become my signature. So dinner at my house always starts with Gougere. Yeah. How could you want to work over a party like that or a <laughs> gathering like that, I should say? Mm-hmm. And that's another thing you talk a lot about in your book, how you do a lot of kind of small things throughout the course of a day or a week to lead up to being able to cook dinner for yourself, your family, your friends. Exactly. And yeah. that really sets you up for success. Well, I like to, uh, in, in all of the recipes, I try, when you can do it, I try to add um, information about how you can work ahead, either how you can chill something, how you can freeze something, how you can make part of it ahead, um, just so that you can put things together. And I mean, like, I just, I feel so strong when I've, because I'm not the world's most organized person in, in many ways, but when I can put together dinner um, because I've, you know, helped myself by doing some stuff ahead. It just feels great, and I'm happy. I'm happy to be able to to do that. But something like the gougere, to be able to have them in the freezer, it's a charm. Wonderful. I do oh. that with cookie dough, but then mm-hmm. I somehow eat the frozen cookie <laughs> no, dough. <laughs> Sorry, Dory. No, you, you may eat a little of it, but yeah. you should save some for your friends. Yeah. It's a good philosophy. Well, we are chatting with a woman we pine for, Icon Dory Greenspan, and we are going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Pineapple Radio. Uh, we are here with uh, Dory Greenspan in the lobby of the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. And um, it's a joy to be here uh, with her. It's actually her birthday, which is <gasps> like, happy Friday. birthday, Dory. <laughs> Sorry, I had Thank to let the you. cat out of the bag. Um, Thank you. It's not every day we get to spend your birthday with you. Yep. Um, and we, we have a fun little treat coming up later in the episode. Uh, but first, we have a few more questions for you. Um, Okay, now I can only think about what is happening later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you know, give us 10 minutes and uh, we'll we'll surprise you. Um, But going back to Paris, because... Let's always go back to Paris. Let's always go back to Paris. (laughs) Uh, I feel very similarly. Uh, Tell us about, you know, when you first fell in love with Paris food culture. So I think... You know, I dreamed about Paris. I dreamed about it for fashion. I dreamed about it for kind of the romance of what life in in Paris would be like. But when I first got to Paris, my husband and I we had we were traveling on like you know five bucks a day each of us, um, and we were very careful about what we spent our m- money on. But we splurged and bought a little strawberry tartlet, and. Every, it had it was about three bites, and I think I might have let Michael have two bites of the three, but I can remember that so clearly. It was as though I had never tasted a tart before. The way the crust crackled, the flavor of butter, 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 butter that tasted completely different from what I had known in the crust. The vanilla pastry cream, the tiny little wild strawberry, everything tasted. 
brilliant. It sparkled with a flavor that I just didn't know. And I thought, I want to know about this. I want to know what this food is. And I just, I came, I came back from that trip and I went to see my mom. And I said, you know, I've loved you. I've loved you ever since I was born. But boy, did you make a mistake. Brooklyn? You had me in <laughs> Brooklyn? <laughs> I was meant to be born in Paris. And that trip just set my mind racing to, I want to go back, I want to go back, I want to learn more. And I, you know, I, I, I kind of became French at home in my kitchen. I cooked as much French food as I could to try and learn. I took French lessons. And then I was later lucky enough to work with a lot of French chefs. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to find a way before we could move to Paris part-time to make Paris in, you know, to bring Paris to New York into my life by, by doing, by through, you know, through food. Yeah. It's amazing how that one experience eating that tart just like totally changed your world. I can, you know, as I was telling you about it, I can see it. We ate it standing up, leaning against a fire hydrant. Neither one, we, well, my husband and I disagree about where we got it, <laughs> right? So I'm not sure about that. But I can taste it as though I just had it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm. And so, you know, in, in the years since, what have you learned about what makes French food so special? You know, I think a lot of us think perhaps it's the ingredients and the, you know, terroir of the butter and, you know, the strawberries they use. But what, what, what have you discovered? That's a hard question. So ingredients, for sure. But we have such great ingredients in America. So it's no longer a case of, oh, the strawberries in France are better than the ones we can find here. We can find really, really good food here. Um, if, let, if we talk about French home cooking, I, I don't, I'm not sure what the difference is. I think there's... Um, some of it has to do with the flavor palette, so you get used to, you know, shallots and tarragon and thyme and some ingredients that just go together in a way that when you taste them, you say, French. Mm. A way of salt, the way that salt is used. It's just like individual things. There's a very, French home cooking is really homey. So it's uh, something done in a Dutch oven. It's a roasted chicken. There's, I mean, the differences aren't that great. There's, <laughs> I was going to say, there's that little je ne sais quoi. There's that <laughs> little, I'm not sure what it is. But some of it does have to do with the flavors that we've come to associate with France. You know, the wine that's used after you've sautéed some onions and you splash some wine in the pan to just scrape up all the stuff on the bottom. Um, those flavors that come together, and when you know French food, you think, ah, French, that's it. Wonderful. Well, speaking of French food and ingredients, we wanted to ask you a question about butter. Yes. And specifically, you um, released a Short Stack book all about butter. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know what Short Stack is, they are these lovely, collectible, uh, short format uh, cookbooks that are all about a single ingredient written by a single cookbook author. And beautifully designed. Beautifully designed. And they are all like true gems. There's there's a short stack on lemons and tahini and yogurt and butter, of course, by Dory. Um, so can you tell us about the experience of really writing a love letter to butter and what that was like? So I'm going to go back to France. When I think, I think it was my third time that I was in Paris. I was alone and I was invited by a stranger. This is really an unusual story. I was writing a postcard. She saw I was writing in English. She said, I want you to meet my niece. She's trying to learn English. Come for dinner. And I went. And we sat at the table. She made this gorgeous chicken. And she took a little bit of butter and she said, here, taste the butter. And no one had ever fed me butter. <laughs> and the butter was tangy in a way that I didn't know butter could be, and it was cultured butter. And I became really interested in butter. Um, I became interested in butter when I tried to get a recipe from um, Lionel Poinlan at the Poinlan Bakery in, in Paris, and he said, you can't have it because your American butter just isn't good enough. We can get good butter in America now. <laughs> but um, I just 
became fascinated by butter, by the way in which it, 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 by the way it tastes, if it's been cultured, which means if it's been aged, like, you know, and, and given a tang like yogurt, um, salted butter, butters that you make by, you know, and putting herbs in. And I just, when I had the chance to do the short stack, I thought, butter, it's kind of everything. It's, it's you know, butter on popcorn, butter in cookies, butter under the, the skin of a chicken so that the mm. chicken just, yeah, oh just gosh. kind of bases in this deliciousness. Butter is like, it, it's a life force in a kitchen. Absolutely. And on the subject of butter, so we have had numerous conversations about food and what that means to women and how sometimes it can be a pretty complex subject. Um, We love that you're cooking, your perspective on food is not, it's not, they're not diet books. It's not about uh, restricting your diet. It's really about the joy of eating and celebrating food. So what would you say and what are some of your ideas around like, diet culture and what that does to women so okay you said it I mean it's so complicated it's so complicated and having written so many dessert books I'm always asked you know in in, if I go to do a reading or something people always say I love dessert but I feel so guilty after I eat it or I love dessert but it's so fattening or can I make your dessert without butter? Do I have to use sugar? And I know how how complex the relationship can be. But so I can really only speak, you know, for myself. I eat everything. I don't eat a lot of everything. But I found when I went through my, oh, I feel so guilty stage, which was a very long one in my life, um, that if I wanted a butter cookie and thought, oh, I'll feel so guilty if I eat it or I shouldn't eat it or I'm going to gain weight or whatever it was and had, you know, a rice cracker instead. I ate the entire package of rice crackers and still wanted that cookie and ended up eating the cookie too. So I think I think of food as pleasure. I think of making food as a particular kind of pleasure, sharing it as a particular kind of pleasure, and eating it. And so I want to eat what I love. And I just try and eat everything. I mean, you know, I sound like a Pollyanna, but I try to eat everything but not eat lots and lots of it. And in France, to go back to dear, wonderful Paris, I have never heard a woman say, I feel so guilty about eating something. People eat dessert the full portion of dessert, but the portions are so much smaller than they are here. Um, I think I read a study that the portions in France are one-third the size of American portions. Mm. And so women eat everything, including dessert, but just don't eat as much of it and take pleasure in each thing they're eating. You know, it doesn't taste good when you say, I feel so guilty. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, and, you know, you, you remarked, I think, in one of your interviews on, like, the Bon Appetit food cast, how there's just, you know, multiple patisseries on, and bakeries on every street, every corner in Paris, and so... It's like a zoning law or something. You've got to have a pastry <laughs> shop on your block. All right, and that each um, shop, uh, they you know, it's a little different, and, you know, part of what excites you about trying everything that looks good is that you know that that baker will have a new, you know, a... A nuance to what they're sharing even exactly. if it is a croissant and you could get a croissant on every corner it's like they're all a little bit different and people travel like they want a macaron from here a pan from there and they'll travel to get to get what they want so i have my my, my cheesemonger at um the covered market in saint germain when she closes her, right, no, right before she reopens at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, she goes to the pastry shop on the corner and she buys two macarons. And that's her treat for the afternoon. And I know so many women who will take a little, a, just a little sweet. I mean, I think of 4 o'clock as the hypoglycemic hour. Like, you really need <laughs> something. Um, but just something small. And eat it slowly. And taste it. Don't eat it while you're you know, tapping something out on your computer or while you're talking. Treat it as a treat for the food. As, you know, the treat 
because the food is so good and a treat treat for yourself yeah love love that culture around eating in paris as you've described Mm. it whether it's gathering at the table with your family or friends and making that you know a habit it's not a special occasion per se you know it's special but no but that part is really important i i didn't put it that way and and that's a great way of putting it to make having people around your table a habit that's great Mm -hmm. yep I actually think it's a huge reason why Atara and I ended up be becoming business partners is like of our sort of group of extended friends. We were always the ones inviting folks over for dinner, whether it's Shabbat dinner or just, you know, we had beautiful produce at the farmer's market and wanted to do something with it. And so having friends over was a great way to, to do that. And hosting each other too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, for me... I mean, I love going out. I love going, trying new restaurants. I get excited about new restaurants. But a good meal at home that's... That, and good is really about... It's not just about the food. As you said, it's about having people around the table. It's about conversation. I love doing a dinner. I, I do a lot of room temperature food. And so it, it's kind of funny that a lot of the food in my book is served at room temperature. And I do that so that I can sit at the table with everyone. And people can just pick. Think of it like a picnic. And so you end up spending a lot more time at the table. There's more time to talk. People linger around the table. I love that. Yeah, I we do too. I want to do dinners every weekend um, when I can. And uh, this is certainly, this conversation's inspiring me to, to continue hosting even more. Um, so we have one more question before getting into our Spitfire round. And um, the last question is around your reflections on how the food industry has changed, uh, you know, since perhaps you wrote your first cookbook or since that first article that came out uh, in Food and Wine. Um, you know, what's changed? It's interesting. I'm not. I'm not so much. I, 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 do I watch the industry? I don't. Not really. And yet, what's changed in? Let's just. Let's just talk about. Well, I mean, I couldn't get a job in a bakery because I was a woman. So mm-hmm. that certainly has changed, um, and still changing. I mean, I was actually told you can't get this job because you're a woman. Right. Yeah, I'm not allowed to say that anymore. Um, but I think that the internet has changed everything about the cookbook world. And it's changed it in terms of new people coming into the industry. We have so many more people writing about food, making food, sharing what they've, they've written. So that, you know, blogging, Instagram, it has just made so much, so many, it's opened the world for food writers and recipe developers. And I love that. And that's really, that's that's changed things. Am I allowed to look left? Totally. I'm not, wait. <laughs> yes. Wait, yes. Wait. Awesome. <laughs> All right. I'm just oh, going to describe this. I'm going to describe the scene here. Oh. We have a beautiful cake made by Amanda Cook, who is the pastry chef at A Rake's Progress that she made just for Dory for her birthday. Wait, and Dory is going to cry. <laughs> Give me a minute. Huh. Oh, okay, wait. And, I, and give me a minute to take Amanda. a picture for Instagram because, right, did it, well, it happened, oh you heard it. And, and Amanda, can you tell us what cake this is? Here. Oh, it's, it's so beautiful. A it's a chocolate cake with uh, salted caramel, salted caramel buttercream, and gold leaf for the golden lady. <laughs> oh, and, 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 this, and the heart. And, and there's a heart. heart. Yeah. And it says, happy birthday, Dory, in the most beautiful chocolate handwriting. That is years of Catholic school. <laughs> um, okay, so I don't know how many more minutes we have, but I, 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 it takes me a long time to make a wish. So just like <laughs> talk among yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going um, to take a quick break. We're going to be back with Dory. We're going to have a spitfire and try some cake from Amanda.
everyone, welcome back to Pineapple Radio. We're broadcasting at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan on Full Service Radio. I'm your host, Atara, and we just finished up a really inspiring and fascinating conversation with our friend Dory Greenspan. It's her birthday today, so we had some cake made by Amanda Cook at A Rake's Progress. She made a delicious chocolate and salted caramel layer cake for Dory. Delicious. Mm. (laughs) So we got to dine in on that. Um, Before we hop off, we're going to do a quick spitfire round with Dory to get to know you a little bit better. Are you ready, Dory? I'm taking a deep breath. (laughs) All right. Our first question for you is a woman you pine for in food. So a woman you admire or look up to. Maida Hedra. Maida Hedra was a cookbook um, author, still is, she's alive, a cookbook author primarily about pastry. Wonderful. And loved her style. Loved her style. Where could our audience find her writing? Her books are are still available. Um, I baked my way through her very first book. I think it was called Maida Heater's Book of Great Desserts. And that really, I learned how to bake baking through her book. Awesome. So, your favorite uh, woman made food product? Mmm. Mmm. Okay, this is hard. Um, can I just can I go through a few? Yeah. Okay. So I'm 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 back in Paris. I'm thinking about the apple tartlets that are made by Apollonia Paulin at Paulin Bakery. The cookies that Moco makes at Moco Nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, the bread that Sarah. Oh, I just went blank on Sarah's last name. I can see her. Instagram at Sarah's Bread, but I just went, can't get her last name. Wonderful, wonderful bread. Is Sarah Owens? No. Nope. She's in Paris? No. Oh, sorry. Uh, She's in Ohio. She's in Ohio. Okay. I, came, I came back to America. I came back to America. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I forgot well, to tell following, you. Following, following, yes. Um, all right, we'll think about that one later. Uh, what, what about your go-to pantry item and your go-to fridge item? Okay. So are we talking about using and cooking, snacking, nibbling? Hmm. Okay, so go-to pantry. I'll, I know I'm only supposed to answer one little thing, but... It's my birthday. <laughs> it is I'm going to take more. Exactly. So salt is my pantry item. I have a wardrobe of salts. I love mm-hmm. using fleur de sel in baking. Um, I use sea salt, both the, the big kernels um, when I'm you know salting water and fine sea salt. In the refrigerator, I love ponzu sauce. So, you know, soy sauce with some citrus in it. Sometimes I'll use that as a salad dressing without without anything else, just salad. Um, I always have cheese in the refrigerator. That's my kind of nibble all the time. Um, and yogurt. Wonderful. This is going to be a hard question to answer. The other ones were hard. So I'm just <laughs> giving you that uh, caveat. Um, your all-time favorite cookie. Oh, yeah, that's hard. <laughs> oh, come on, kids. Um, you can choose a couple, of course. Well, no, because I really, I have, I, I, I can do this. Okay. The world peace cookie. No, well, okay. I will take a couple. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so the world peace cookie, which is a chocolate, like a shortbread cookie, and it has salt in it, and it has pieces of chocolate, and I love it for the name, of course, but I also love it for the cookie. It's a little sandy, a little chewy. That salt is just a surprising hit. And I like the World Peace Cookie sister, the vanilla shortbread. So I'm a, I'm a shortbread girl. Yeah. Oh, wait, cool. and the jammer. I forgot the jammer. So uh, the jammer. It's uh, <laughs> It's a shortbread cookie. It has jam in the center, and it has streusel all around the edges. So it's beautiful. It looks like a little jam tart, um, but it's got, you know, the the shortbread kind of crumbly um, texture, and then the crunch of streusel and the softness of jam. It's a good cookie. Mm -hmm. Delicious. So depending on what mood you're in, there's a cookie for that. (laughs) There's there's a cookie for everything (laughs) in my life. Amazing. And so... Where can our audience find you? Of course, you have your 13 cookbooks, uh, but what about um, on Instagram, web, elsewhere? 
Right. So I'm. Um, <laughs> somebody said to me, "You must have started on social media really early because you've got your own name." Yeah. And so, and I think I think I started on Twitter like the day after it started, and Instagram. So I am at Dory Greenspan just about everywhere on Facebook, on Twitter, um, on Instagram. My website is DoryGreenspan.com. I have a special website for my new book, so it's called EverydayDory.com. Amazing. And you have a, a Facebook group community too, right? Yes. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? Oh, well, I think you're thinking about the Tuesdays with Dory yes, group. Yes, yes. Oh, so this is so great. And thank you for asking because there's a new group. Um, after I wrote Baking from My Home to Yours, which was in 2006, uh, and things you know social media blogs it was all kind of new i got an email from somebody saying i would like to bake through your book and i want to do it with two friends of mine we'll just put it up on our blogs and say we did it and it's just the three of us is that okay the fact that she asked permission i said sure it's great that group grew and grew and grew it was they named it tuesdays with dory and every tuesday they bake something from my book and they have since expanded to french fridays with dory this group has cooked and or baked everything i've ever written and on friday october 20 where are we we're the 24th my birthday mm-hmm. 24th 26th, they're going to start posting from Everyday Dory with a group called Cook the Book Fridays. Cool. That's so cool. It's so exciting. So yeah, so you can find Cook the Book Fridays or Tuesdays with Dory um, and cook and bake along with them. Yeah. Love it. I was going to say, so whether folks are, you know, lucky to get an invite to your table or, you know, they're cooking your recipes and creating community, uh, that's really a huge takeaway I've gotten from this conversation, which is you know, food, no matter how you slice it, is about bringing people together. Absolutely. That's, yeah. that's, I mean, you know, obviously we have to nourish ourselves, but the fact that we can make something and share it, that's the best part of cooking. Totally. And um, speaking of sharing, just want to shout out again to pastry chef Amanda Cook, who... I'll shout with you. Oh, that (laughs) cake was so good. I'm like smelling the cocoa and buttercream now, so I'm Mm. I'm eager to get off this radio show. But um, (laughs) one of the coolest things about um, her baking at Arake's Progress, which is the restaurant in the Line Hotel, is she uses all of these heritage grains. So this cake is made with um, entirely uh, spelt as the flour. It is so delicious, and that salted caramel. I mean, salt is so magical because because it brings up the flavor of everything, and it also encourages you to take another bite. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So on that note, we're going to take another bite, and um, we thank you for listening to this episode and uh, joining us with Dory Greenspan. You can find us at Pineapple Collaborative on Instagram and pineapplecollaborative.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes Radio um, or iTunes, it's not iTunes Radio, iTunes Podcast. The Apple Podcast uh, app. And if you leave us a review, we will share, we'll shout you out, we'll share it on the air. We love seeing reviews. So if you like it, please let us know. Exactly. And um, we'll see you here next time. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me here. And Dory, we can't wait to cook from Everyday Dory and encourage all of y'all to pick it up. Um, And if you're coming to our event in D.C. tomorrow, you can get it signed there. Looking forward to seeing everyone.